Well, today um, is an important day in the life of the church, a particularly important day in the um, church calendar. Today is Palm Sunday, and you saw the children early in our service this morning coming in, waving their palms and singing Hosanna, which I think is just a wonderful statement that not only tells us that today is Palm Sunday, but that our King, Jesus, is the one who calls all of us, no matter what age we are, to come to him as children. Today also begins Holy Week, or the Passion Week of Jesus, where we follow the last events of his ministry and his life. And then this weekend, of course, we come to celebrate these very holy days, these holy moments, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And so today is a very special day, and this week is a special week. And we are continuing in this sermon series that we've called The Road to Easter these last few weeks. And today I want us to look especially at two places in the Gospel of John. One of them, of course, is the story of Palm Sunday and Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. And the other is an earlier scene where Jesus is having this very interesting discussion with some of his hearers and some of the religious leaders, the Pharisees. But today... Our big idea, and this is on your outline, and I um, uh, just want to point you there if you'd like to follow along and take some notes, and the uh, items will be on the screen as well. But our big idea this morning is that on Palm Sunday, we celebrate Jesus as the King who comes to set us free. Jesus as the King who comes to set us free. And to begin with that, uh, I want us to read the story, the whole story. And so if you have a Bible this morning or if you want to follow on the screen, turn to John chapter 12. And we are going to start in verse 12. And this is the story of Palm Sunday. It says, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, there are a lot of things happening in that short passage, um, many things in play, um, lots of questions that we could ask. Things like, why is Jesus riding on a donkey? And why are people gathered waving palm branches of all things? And um, why is Jesus riding into the city? What does Hosanna mean? And why, if five days later he's going to be executed on the cross, are people so excited about him now? All good questions. Can't answer them all this morning. But it is good, I think, for us to set the scene, to try to understand what's happening. And the first thing for us to realize is that this was the time of Passover, the Jewish festival of Passover. 
celebrated this time of year that marks God's deliverance and God's rescue of his chosen people, Israel, from slavery in Egypt. Passover was the festival of freedom. God rescues his people, then they make their exodus through the wilderness through many, many years, and eventually he leads them to his promised land where they can live to worship him and live freely there. That's their great hope. And so all of these people, these Jewish people, Jewish worshipers from around the world come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Some commentators, some biblical scholars say there could have been upwards of two million people around the city of Jerusalem when Jesus arrives. And not only that, but as we saw in the text, not only is Passover happening, but Jesus has just done something truly remarkable. His friend Lazarus that had died, Jesus went there and raised him from the dead. And all of a sudden, people are talking about this. Who is this man that has done this incredible miracle? So these two things are happening at once, and people are just abuzz about Jesus. So excited that they follow him into Jerusalem and they start to say things, they start to shout things, sing things, particularly this one phrase, this one word, Hosanna, which literally means save us now. Can you imagine hearing that? People, a crowd of people saying save us now. And they're singing this, they're saying this, wow, waving these palm branches, which was a sign of royal victory. It's something that a people would do when a victorious king would come back from war and ride into his home city and the people would greet him with this sign of victory. But what this crowd sees in John 12, while chanting Hosanna and waving their palms, is not a king who's riding back on a great war horse with his sword at his side, not some heroic-looking warrior, but what this crowd sees and what we read about is Jesus riding on a donkey. No sword, no real impressive entourage, and yet they're still celebrating him. They're still saying, Hosanna. So why? Why are they shouting these things? What are they hoping for? Well, as we said, it's Passover, and Passover is the festival of freedom, but they're also living as an oppressed people under the rule of the Romans, and so part of them is hoping, as Pastor Dudley said at the beginning of our service, that this man somehow, some way, even though it looks a little odd, it's not the way I expected it, somehow maybe he could be the one that would free us, that would liberate us. Maybe he is or could be our new king. Maybe this is the one who can set us free. And they were right, and they were wrong. You see, Jesus is the king who has come to set them free, but not how they expected, and not how they wanted. And today we have to ask ourselves, what am I, what are you expecting from Jesus? How is he coming into your life to set you free? And to answer that, I want us to see this today. First, that Jesus is the king who has freed us from certain things, right? And then he's someone, a king, who has freed us to certain things. 
But first, what has Jesus freed us from? And what I want us to clearly see is that he has freed us from sin. And this is where I want to turn to that other passage in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 8, where he's having this very interesting conversation with his Jewish listeners and the religious leaders who are really intrigued by him. They have all these questions. So look at John 8, starting in verse 31, and this is what it says. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free. Now Jesus, of course, is talking about freedom. He's telling these Jewish listeners that I've come to set you free, but what's their response? What do they say to him? We're Abraham's descendants, Jesus. We don't, we don't need that. We don't need to be free. We kind of have our spiritual lives covered, right? We're God's special people. We don't need that kind of freedom, Jesus. But look how he responds in verse 34. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is telling them that everyone, everyone who sins is a slave a slave to sin, a slave that needs to be what? Freed. And this is true for all of us. It's true of the human heart. And in many ways, I think we're in this uh, interesting place in our culture and society now where uh, we are literally kind of bored of hearing about sin. We just, it's not something we want uh, to think about. It just doesn't register. It doesn't seem to register with our wider culture today. But what I want us to see this morning is that if you and I truly want to break free in life, to live a life in the freedom of God, free from all the things that trip us up, all the things that own us, if that's what you and I desire, then the only way that we're gonna get there is by letting Jesus set us free from our sin. The only way. And that's always been true. Since Adam and Eve in the garden, Right? We have been slaves to sin. Our hearts, the human heart, has always on its own continually moving away from God. And when it does, it sins. And that sin wreaks havoc on our lives and havoc on our world. What the Bible tells us is that God is a just God and a holy God. And he cannot let that sin that wreaks havoc on us and on our world continue without being punished. He, he will not let it continue to wreak havoc. And so that's the bad news of the gospel, that that's what our heart is like. That's what we're doing naturally on our own. We are slaves to sin. This is what Jesus said. But the good news of the gospel, that's what I want us to hear today, is that God has come to us as a king who sets us free. Remember what Jesus said, a child belongs to the family forever. And so if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. And that's what Jesus exactly does. He lives the perfect life, the perfect life that we could never live. He goes to the cross to be punished 
for our sins in our place and he raises up from the dead on Easter Sunday so that we can receive, we can have new hearts, new lives that enable us to live as free people with a new identity, with a new potential, freed from sin. Now, when you begin to recognize and really embrace that that's what happened for you, then I think you start to really see all of the places in our lives, right, where we have the tendency to place our hope, place our identity, where our identity rests. And that's what's happening for these people who are engaging Jesus in John 8. They're listening to him, and he's talking about freedom from their sin, and what they keep going back to is where their identity is. We're, we're children of Abraham, Jesus. We're Jews. We're God's special people. We don't need. That's what's most important about me. I don't need what you're talking about. What we see here is that not only is Jesus talking about being a king that sets us free from our sin, but as they respond with that and as we often respond with where we live from, where our identity rests, Jesus is also the king who sets us free from pride, from our pride. Look at verse 39 in John 8. The story continues. They say, Abraham is our father. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children. They double down. They protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. And then in verse 47, Jesus says, whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. You see, when we become a follower of Jesus, when you make that step to follow him, when he sets you free from your sin, then your pride, wherever it lies, begins to fall. Maybe for some of you, that pride, that sense of identity is in the fact that you're a very successful person. You're a very high capacity person and you're proud of that. Or maybe you've been able to make a lot of money in life. And that's something that fills your heart and your life with a sense of pride. Maybe you have really well-behaved kids. And that's a source of identity and pride for you. Some of these things can be very good things in our life. Blessings, but they become our sense of pride and our identity. And Jesus is saying that I have come to free you from all of that, your sin and your pride. Why? So that you will live free. Because you, most of all, are children with palm branches in your hands. That's who I want you to be. My children, deeply loved by God. Look at this verse from the book of 1 John later in the New Testament where we see this. John says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. You and I have been set 
free to know and believe that this is the single most important thing about who we are, that we are God's children, set free from our sin and from our pride to see ourselves in any other way. And so that's what Jesus has come to do, to set us free from sin and pride. But what has he, as king, freed us to? What is the freedom that he brings into our life freed us to? Right? And the first thing I want us to see is that it's freed us to love. To love. We live in some confusing times, I think we would all say. We're facing a lot of issues uh, in our world that we haven't faced before. Some of them we've faced in different ways, but some of them are new and we're not sure of how to think of them and we're all thinking about them differently perhaps, not sure how to handle them and then we have opinions on every side of how we can fix things or do better at certain things on what the problem actually is and how we could fix the problem and all of us, whether we realize it or not, are invested in it somehow. We have a view of our world and we have this view or this thought of how things could be fixed. But what is striking to me I think is how little, even amidst all of those opinions today, how little we actually hear about love. Right? How we are to love others. How we can learn to love others. Where we get the motivation to love. And how we can grow love in our wider community, and in our wider society. One of the great men of the last hundred years, Martin Luther King Jr., um, if you have any conversation today about any particular issue, um, you pick it. It seems like everyone on all sides has this desire to kind of claim Martin Luther King Jr. on their side. That what he is saying about something is backing up our position or is what we want to hear, right? We'll claim that for us. But what I think we forget is that more than anything, Martin Luther King Jr.'s message and work was not about politics or power. It was about love. Love. How we are to love one another as brothers and sisters. And you see, that's much harder than a message of politics and power. All sides want to claim MLK as their own, perhaps to prove a point, but what they really need is to hear his call to love, to love others. And let me connect that this way for us today. Many of you, I think, like the thought of Jesus in your life. We all like the thought of Jesus in our lives and the life of our kids, but what we really need to hear this morning is that Jesus has freed us to love, to the work of love, to love him deeply and then to love others deeply, to really put ourselves on the line for the sake of love, that that's what Jesus has done in us so that we could be his kind of people in the world. And so I wanna ask you today, what does that look like for you? That now that Jesus has freed you from sin and pride, what does it look like to be freed up to love and to love others? And when we get to that place of being freed to love, I think we also begin to truly live satisfied in him. That this is the way to living how Jesus desires for us to live. 
I don't know how many of you have seen uh, the great movie. It's been out for so long now. Um, Shawshank Redemption. But in the film, uh, Red, who's played by Morgan Freeman, tells the story of Andy Dufresne, who's played by Tim Robbins, who was a young, successful banker who was wrongfully convicted. And in 1947, he was uh, sentenced to two consecutive life terms at Shawshank Prison. And halfway through the film, this older man in the prison, Brooks, becomes enraged and lashes out against another inmate. And after a few tense moments, Red and Andy persuade, they kind of talk Brooks down to lay down his weapon. And that's when they discover that Brooks had just received word that his parole was finally approved. The mere thought of freedom outside the prison was enough to sing, send Brooks over the edge. And later discussing it in the prison yard, one inmate concludes that Brooks had just bugged out. He'd gone mad. And Red, Morgan Freeman's character, quickly disagrees and he says, Brooks ain't no bug. He's just institutionalized. The man's been in here 50 years, 50 years. This is all he knows. In here, he's an important man. He's an educated man. Outside, He's nothing, just a used-up con with arthritis in both hands. Probably couldn't get a library card if he tried. You know what I'm trying to say? You believe whatever you want, but I'm telling you, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. And enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. And you see, for some of us, breaking free is going to feel unnatural. It's going to feel difficult. It may even hurt if we're gonna experience more freedom in our lives because we have been living this way, whatever that issue is in our life that we need freedom in, we've been living that way for a very long time. Or we've been struggling with something for a very long time. We've become institutionalized, if you will, in certain patterns of our life, in certain sins that we've put all of our hope in or all of our identity in, maybe even good things that we've placed all of ourselves in. For some of us young parents in the room, I really struggle with this. Uh, but many of us as young parents are living with our kids at the very center of our lives the very center of our lives. We built our identity, our pride, around this idea of being a father or being a mother. And it is a wonderful thing. It is a gift of God to be a father or a mother and to have children. But if our identity or our pride is so wrapped up in them, then whenever they do the slightest thing wrong, our world begins to crumble. Our self-worth begins to fall apart. That's what happens when everything revolves around them. And so breaking free of that, having Jesus lead us to a place of freedom in that area may be hard. It may be painful. It may take us a while to get there. But that's what it will look like to live fully satisfied in Jesus and in not something else. When we live fully satisfied in him, then all the other good things of our lives can begin to revolve around him and that's what Jesus wants. Remember what he's told us, that if you belong to him forever, if the sun sets you free, then you are free 
indeed. And if we can truly embrace that for ourselves, then I think we begin to live satisfied, full in life. And maybe we can even begin to see a king riding in on a donkey in a new way. We can have a new appreciation for that. Freed up to see that we have a God, a king, not like the others, but one who comes to us humbly and gently. And that's our final point this morning, that Jesus is a humble and gentle king, and that's what Palm Sunday shows us. Let's think about that scene for one last moment. If you mix all those factors together, all those things, those questions we had about Palm Sunday that Pastor Dudley mentioned at the beginning of our service, you have a powder keg situation. And can you imagine if Jesus rode into that situation like a warrior, on that big war horse with that big sword? If he did that, who knows what would have happened? The whole thing could have exploded. And so what does Jesus do? He fulfills what is said about him in the Old Testament. Look at these verses that are in the Gospels and they're also in the book of Zechariah. It says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, how? Righteous and victorious, lowly, humbly, and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And look what it also says that he has come to do in verse 11. As for you, my people, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free you, free your prisoners from the waterless pit. You see, Jesus is showing us that he is our king that has come to save us, but he is not like the other kings of the world. He is humble, he is gentle, He is a king who brings peace and who lavishes love on his children so that all of us would be his children waving those palm fronds, saying, Jesus, come into my life and save me. And so this today, this week, Holy Week, what do you need to be freed from? What is it that Jesus is riding into the walls of your life and asking you to think about? Where is that area of freedom that we need? What can we, have we built our life upon that we need fresh eyes to see? And then could we allow this very humble and gentle king to come in and free us, to show us where we have built our life on something else and gently lead us to build our lives on him? Let's consider that this week, this holy week, this year, and see what God will do, all right? you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have, in fact, not just freed us from something, but you have freed us to something, to be like you, to love others well, to love you well, and that you have freed us also to live satisfied in you, not in all of the other things of this world or the other things that clutter our lives that we seek satisfaction from. God, we want to be fully satisfied in you. And Jesus, you have begun that work in us. And so wherever we need to declutter, wherever we have built our life on something other than you, God, would you free us so that we could clearly see you and that we could follow you in new ways. God, would you begin that work in us today? May we think about that this Holy Week and look forward 
to this coming weekend when we truly celebrate what you have accomplished for us in your death and your resurrection. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.